If you have your Bibles, we want to invite you this morning to turn to Genesis chapter 4. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 4, amen. How many of y'all know the, the book of beginnings, amen, as it's been called? <clears throat> the book of Genesis, really you look in the first couple of chapters of Genesis and it shows us what God's original intention was. How many of y'all, you realize when you read your Bible, it didn't last long, right? And everything from that point forward is God trying to get things back to the original purpose. Amen? <clears throat> but this morning, I remember when I, uh, you know, how many of y'all have ever heard someone say, you know, someone will ask you, and I, and I remember the job I used to work on, there wasn't any shortage of uh, of smart alecks and, and sarcastic people. Amen? And I, and I occasionally dabbled in the sarcasm. Amen? I can be sarcastic every once in a while. Amen? And uh, but a supervisor would come out and say, "Do you know where such and such is? Do you know, you know, do you know where Bob's at today?" And I had this one guy that he was just he was a big joker, and every time the supervisor would ask him that, he'd look at it. He'd say, "What day is it?" You know, whatever day of the week it was, and he'd go, "Oh, it ain't my day to watch him." How many of y'all ever heard that before? You know, where's such? It ain't my day to watch him. And then, well, how many of y'all know that uh, that you can say that jokingly? But if you really mean it, there was somebody that the first time that was said and it was recorded in the Bible, that somebody wasn't joking. Amen? Let's turn to Genesis chapter 4. You're already there. And uh, I'm, just going to start, I'm just going to start with verse 1. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time, his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. And so a lot of people, you know, you read through this narrative and a lot of people, especially if you are of uh, an extreme liberal mindset, you go, well, why didn't God respect uh, you know, Cain's offering? That was, God was showing a respecter of persons. Because you understand this, the Bible says that, does the Bible say God is not a respecter of persons? God is not a respecter of persons. But you understand what that means is, is that doesn't mean that everybody gets to come to God on their terms. That means God, you understand, the king sets the terms, right? The king says, this is the way it's going to be. If you're going to approach me, this is how you approach me. God sets the terms for being approached. And you understand this? And God sets the terms for how he's going to be served. You just don't, you just don't sling something together. You know, you may have unexpected company stop by your house and you just sling something together. You know, you go through the, the leftovers and sling something together and pull a meal together. But when you're making a preparation for God, you, you bring your best. And we need to realize this, is we've become so casual in our Christianity, we've become so casual in our approach toward God that we think that if we just show up and half-heartedly do something, that God's good with that. 
How many of y'all remember over in the book of Malachi where we read out of Malachi where it says, if you'll bring unto me the tithe, all the tithes into the storehouse and, and, and the tithes and offerings and I'll receive them and I'll open up the windows of heaven, I'll rebuke the devourer, I'll open up the windows of heaven and I'll pour out upon you a blessing that you can't contain. You realize the chapter, I believe it's the chapter before that, God speaking through the prophet is speaking to the people of Israel and he's rebuking them for their lame and maim and blind sacrifices that they're bringing to him. Huh? What? Because God said, bring me your best. Anything that you bring to God and offer to Him, if it's not your best, it's really an, it's an insult to Him. Now some people might say, well that sounds like God's got pretty high standards. Yeah, God does have really high standards. Because we might slough off some stuff and think, you understand this? I said, well good enough is, is best's worst enemy. Good enough is, is best's worst enemy. Because you're doing something... And we've all been guilty of it and don't think that I'm being anal because some things, you know, it's like building a house. I don't know if anybody's had any carpentry experience, but you try to go through a house and build everything in it perfectly square, everything, not off even a sixteenth of an inch. You can't do it, can you? Why? Because the material you're working with is flawed. But you still need to be doing your best. And so, but God, you back there in Malachi, when they were bringing these sacrifices, see, God said, bring me the best, bring me the firstborn of your flocks, Bring me the best. And how many of y'all know that flocks represented your, their, their wealth? It represented their wealth, their, their life. Because you understand that the accumulation of, of your wealth, it, your paycheck represents however many hours of your life that you invested to obtain that. And, 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 so, and so their finances, just their livestock, there was an investment of their time in their livestock. Well, they, were, you know, they got to thinking, you know, why do, you know, why do I got to bring my best? You know? Why do I got to pay a tithe? Why don't I pay my bills first and then whatever I got left over, give God a little bit out of that, give God a little tip out of that? Huh? And you understand, what, did God, what was God's response to them? God said, you're bringing me, you're, your offerings and your sacrifices are nauseating to me. Would God talk that way? Preacher, you sound like you're, I'm not mad. I'm saying, God, God said this. God said, wait a minute. You're fooling yourself. You want to know why you're not walking in the fullness of my blessing, what you're bringing me. Take, take that blind animal, take that lame animal, take that blemished animal and offer him to your governor and see if he's pleased. And this is the thing. A lot of people, a lot of people in the church will go to work and they know that they've got to mind their P's and Q's and be right on things and follow everything by the book because they get fired and they lose their job. But then we want to come to church and just, uh, you know, Take the kind of service, you know, anything that we're involved with in church. If it's me and my in my prayer and study and preparation for the sermons that I'm bringing to, to preach to the people, any area of ministry. Pastor Cheyenne, when she's teaching the kids, you know, if she's, you know, if she, if you have, if if you are paying more attention to your secular job and and following procedure and doing the job to the best of your ability than you are what you're doing in the church, then you're bringing a, a, a lame and a maim and a blemished sacrifice to God. Hallelujah. Praise God. <laughs> Smile and say, Pastor loves me. He's teaching me, right? So, but God, but the thing is, Cain, he brought a sacrifice to God that it didn't meet God's standards. It wasn't that God was a respecter of persons. It wasn't that God had a chip on his shoulder toward Cain saying, I don't like you, you're a farmer. That wasn't the thing at all. God, but what God required was, bring the best. Bring your best and sacrifice that to me. Bring the best offering that you have. And you understand this, you know, your best might be better than my best in one area. Hospitality, area of hospitality. Someone else, you may have a gift 
for hospitality and making people feel welcome. And man, they come. Woo, man, man, I feel the love. That it might be a be, better than what I can. But when the opportunity for me to demonstrate hospitality, if someone comes along, I still have to do my best. So we're not competing with each other. You're just doing the best you can. It's like you know, if I go to the gym with someone. You know, I remember when I was going to Rama and uh, Pastor Mike and I, Pastor Mike down at St. Augustine, uh, he and I, we would lift weights together. Pastor Mike, Pastor Cheyenne says, I'm one of the strongest people that she's ever met. I said, you don't get out often, do you? Amen. <laughs> um, but I mean, I, I, I'm a pretty strong guy. But Pastor Mike was tremendously more stronger than I was. I mean, I might be, you know, when I was going to Rama, I might take 315 pounds on bench press and do, you know, Five, six, seven reps of 315 pounds on bench press. Pastor Mike was taking 405 pounds and doing 12 reps with it. Huh? Leg press, I might be working out with 850, 900 pounds on leg press. Pastor might be pushing up 1,200, 1,400 pounds on leg press. Okay? So his numbers were a lot higher than mine. His potential for achievement in the gym was a lot higher than mine. But when we worked out together, how many of y'all know in, in, in weightlifting, you'll take a certain percentage of weight? You know, you, you shoot for, okay, what, what's 75%? If, if I could take a certain weight and only get one repetition with it, can I go down to 70% of what my max? Let's, let's keep a, a, the number simple. Say 100 pounds was the most you could bench press. Say you could go into the gym and you could only do 100 pounds, one repetition. Okay? Besides needing to come on Tuesday and Thursday because that's when the girls work out. <laughs> Anybody that's been to Rhema will get that. At Rhema, the gym, you know, you had days for the guys and, and days for the girls at Rhema. Guys, lift, the weight, free weights were open to guys Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And ladies, it was exclusively open to ladies on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And so we used to mess with people in the gym when, they, you know, me and Pastor Mike go in. If they were pushing a little bitty weight, we'd go, uh, you need to come back on Tuesday and lift weights. Amen. they go, why on Tuesday? Because that's when the girls lift. Amen. <laughs> you can laugh. That's funny. Praise God. Go ahead. Amen. But you understand, if you take 100 pounds and that's all you can press one time, well, then you go down and you say, okay, what's, you know, what's 50% of that? Let's, say, let's take 50 pounds and see if I can take 50 pounds for 10 to 12 repetitions. And then you say, let me go up to... What I know is 60% of my capacity. And, and let me shoot for uh, 8 to 10 reps. And then let me go up to 70 or 75% and see if I can get 6 or 8 reps. But the thing is, my point is, is that even though his best and his maximum potential in the weight room was more than mine, we could go out and, we, and I could go in and I could work out just as hard or harder than him because this way, if he took, his, if he took 70% or if he took 50% of his maximum potential, and he did it 20 reps, and I took 50% of my maximum potential, and I did it 20 reps, I'm working just as hard as he is, and I'm, get, and I'm putting in just as much as what he is. You understand what I'm saying? And so the point is is that we don't compare ourselves among ourselves. You know, you may look at one person and say, well, you know, they're not doing very much to, uh, for the Lord. You know what? But you, guess what? but you know what? This is the thing. They know whether or not they are or not. They know, they know what their potential is. They know what their potential, they know what their 100% is. Amen. And you don't. So we don't compare, but the, if you're going to compare yourself, you compare yourself to yourself. And you ask yourself, Lord, because this is the thing. If I go into the gym and I know I can, you know, I can push up 300 pounds for one, or, one rep. Say I can do that. And then I go in, I say, I'm going to go work myself out. And I go in and I put 75 pounds on the bar. And I'm, whoo, I'm working now. I ain't doing nothing. 
Why? Because I am operating so far below what my potential is, it's not even requiring any effort, and it's not any sacrifice to me. And so you understand that this is what the issue was with Cain, was that God, you know, he didn't bring his best. He did not bring his best sacrifice to God, and that's where God does most definitely have a problem. God, oh, Pastor, tell me God loves me. You understand, I was telling Pastor, I said, the love of God is a given. A lot of my sermons, and maybe a lot of people don't want to warm up to them for this fact, is I assume that we understand God loves you. And you've heard, everybody's heard me preach, God loves you, how much God loves you. God loved you so much, He sent Jesus to die on the cross to redeem you. I, a lot of my sermons, I, I preach to people, and I make the assumption that we all know God loves us, okay? Now the big question is, do we love God? Because Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commandments. And this is a hard saying. Jesus had people that walked away from him because they didn't want, you know, they, it was a hard, you know, people, Jesus would preach, and sometimes people go, man, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? And they'd leave. And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you're going to leave too? Huh? Just because it gets hard? Preach, preach me something that's comfortable. You understand that, that God is interested, you know, there, there's, a, there's a phrase, die empty. Doc, uh, Dr. Miles Monroe, he's got a book called Die Empty. And he's talking about, I heard a minister say one time that the graveyard, if you want to find a place that is full of the most potential, go to a graveyard and look. Because most of the people that are, that are buried in that graveyard, they've died with so much potential in them that was unreleased. And you think, God, how much better place could their neighborhood have been? How much better place could their city have been? How much better could their church have been if that potential that was in them it had been released? But they died a full vessel. They died with something in them when what God would have for us to do is, Paul said, I'm willing to spend and be spent for the gospel's sake. I'm willing to just invest my whole self into it, just to empty myself out into it, pour myself out into it. And so when I die, man, Paul said, he told Timothy, it was in 2 Timothy, he said, I'm, being, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. I'm giving everything. I'm, I'm giving my best. And so you understand this, is that Cain, he came and he didn't bring his best. And, he did, and, his, and his offering was really an insult to God. And so verse 6, God says, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? Amen? You understand that a lot of times when people, if, you're, if we're not giving our best and you see somebody else giving their best, <laughs> Amen? People get mad. When they, how many of you all heard the illustration of, of, the, of the crabs in the bucket? How many of y'all heard that? If you've been to any business seminars at all, you've probably heard that. Uh, uh, you know, people talk about uh, what is it? Blue crabs that you can take them and you can put them in a bucket, and they'll climb on top of each other till they get up to the top. And just as one's getting ready to get out, the other crabs will grab, reach up and grab it and pull it back down in the bucket, and then try to claw, crawl back up the pile to get out themselves. And they can't get out. Of, and they can't get out of the bucket because every time they get to the top and they're about ready to make the top of the bucket, another crab grabs them and pulls them back down in. Why? <laughs> it's almost. Or we do we live in a world where some people. Uh, they don't want to give their best. They want to give mediocre, and then and then when they see someone else giving their best and excelling, they want to pull you back down. Well, that's what Cain had going on. Cain had this going on. You know, wait, what's up with this? I brought sacrifice to God. Why ain't you know? Why ain't God pleased with me? Why didn't God receive my offering? Well, was it your best? Huh? Because here's Abel. He's bringing his best. He's bringing the best of his sacrifice. And then you understand this verse uh, verse seven. God says, if you do well. Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you, uh, but you should rule over it. Even then, you understand this is after the fall. Even then, God is, is trying to t train man and tell, look, you should be ruling over sin. 
You, you understand, one translation says, uh, verse 7 says, um, that sin crouches at your door. That word lies, it means crouches as if ready to pounce upon. How many of you have seen like when a cat is stalking a mouse or when you watch, you know, the wildlife channel and you see a tiger or a lion or something like that, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's on the prowl and it's sneaking up on its prey ready to launch. That's what, that's the image that God is communicating to Cain. Look, if you don't deal with your sin, if you don't deal with your sin, it's crouching at the door to pounce on you and overtake you. And he says, he, but God said, but you should rule over it. In verse 8, Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass that they were in a field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Now here's verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now you think about it, popping off smart with God. My brother's what day is it, God? Oh, it's not my day to watch him. And so I want to talk to you this morning about am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? Does God have the expectation that when we're at the, the, the culture of the kingdom, the culture of the church, the culture of the kingdom is so much different? Because what does the world say, by and large? And you understand that it's, it's really hard maybe for you if you grew up in a, uh, in a Christian atmosphere. Maybe it's even harder for us to relate with, especially if we, if we grew up in rural areas of the South. But you understand, how many of y'all have ever heard the same for, I'm, watch, I'm watching out for old, I'm watching out for number one. I'm, I'm watching out for number one. Huh? Or, yeah. I'm going to take care. I'm, you know, starting now. You know, what was it? Travis Tritt was it? Travis Tritt sang that song. Starting now, I'm looking out for number one. I'm going to be watching out for me. I'm taking. I'm going to be taking care of myself. And the attitude of the, of the over the the prevailing attitude of the world that's absent of Christian influences is I'm going to, I'm going to be watching out for myself. And don't you and don't fool yourself. Even the politicians that want to stand up and say, "Oh, we're taking care of the poor. We're going to take care of the poor. We're going to watch out for the poor people. We got to take care of the poor people." What they mean is, we're going to take care of the poor people with your money. Because every year it's so funny. The people in Washington that are the most liberal politicians, that are the ones screaming the loudest, "We got to take care of the poor. We got to take care of the poor." Their income tax returns are public record, and most of them, you look at their giving. What was it? I think Barack Obama, he gave 1.5% of his income to charity. Man's a millionaire. Oh, you putting up big, brother. Hope and change, yeah. Yeah, once you start at home, once you start giving some of your money away before you want to take everybody else's, Joe Biden. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not just popping on Democrats. It'd be interesting to see everybody's giving records. Because this, because this thing, how many of y'all know, if, if I go to the store to buy something, my, now, that, I, I say this. How many of y'all know when you were a child, let's put it that way, when you were a child, if you had to break your piggy bank open to go buy something, you might have been a little more conservative on what you bought. But if Daddy gave you 20 and said, bring me back some change, woohoo, we going shopping, right? Huh? Or if you were a teenager and Mama gave you her credit card. That's dangerous, yeah. Mama's like, well, you ain't going to college. I got good news and bad news. Good news is I paid the credit card bill. Really, Mom? Thanks. Yeah, the bad news is you're not going to college anymore. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> huh? But but you understand that uh, that it's it's watching out for people. It, it it is you know. Does God want us to take? Does God want? Like I said, does God honestly expect us to be our brother's keeper? And, now, and let's look at this. Cain asked, "Am I my brother's keeper?" 
That word keeper, we want to have a good understanding of this word, okay? And sometimes we think of keeper and you think of like a zookeeper. The animals are there, they're in their cages, I bring the animals their food, I bring the animals their water, I take away the poo-poo, I clean the cage. That's what, I mean, a lot of times when we think of the word keeper, that's what we think. But that word keeper, the word keeper, it literally means, if you study that, it literally means to hedge about as with thorns. That is, guard, generally to, to protect or attend to. I'm going to read it to you again. The word, the word keeper, it literally means to hedge about as with thorns. That is, guard, generally to protect or attend to. Okay, so Cain's asking God, is, is it my place to, to hedge about my brother? Is it my, is it my place to put a hedge about him? Well, let's just take a look a little bit more. We've seen that, you know, obviously in the, the word implies protection, but let's just take a look at some things. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Most of us, if you're familiar with the story of Job at all, you know where we're going. Job chapter 1. Start with verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And Satan answered and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Just a real quick note. Do you all like it when I give these, you know, just these little extra little tidbits for you that kind of rocks traditional Christianity? The traditional Christian view that the devil and demons are in hell where did Satan say he came from? He said, he said, he said, I came from walking back and forth on the earth. You realize this, if Satan and, and, and the demons were in hell, we'd all be in a lot better position, wouldn't we? Amen. Amen. It's like, go ahead, chuck them in there now, Lord. Amen. Amen. But you read in the book of Revelations where there is a time coming when Satan and the demons and the fallen angels, they'll be bound and they'll be cast into the bottomless pit. But for now, when Jesus, just so you know when somebody's talking to you about, oh, the demons in hell, you know, uh, okay, when Jesus said he beheld Satan fall, where did he say he saw him fall to? The earth. Amen? Praise God. i got a theory why the earth leans on its axis. Tunk. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Satan hit so hard he tipped it sideways when God chucked him out of heaven, right? Anyway, it says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Woo, hallelujah. So what's Satan saying? Satan's saying, oh, why shouldn't Job serve you? Why doesn't he serve you? Huh? Why wouldn't he fear you, God? You've put a hedge about him and blessed everything that he's put his hand to. Now, understand this and... and, and there may be some repetition, but just so you get it. You understand that that I'm not a landscaping expert, but how many of y'all have noticed a lot of people, if you have houses, you'll see people, if they have windows on their homes, a lot of times it's not uncommon to plant shrubbery in front of those windows, not just for looks, but one of the people's favorite is holly bushes. How many of y'all have ever trimmed a holly bush, got into a holly bush? What have you noticed about a holly bush? It's prickly, it's thorny, and if you lean up into it too much, it's going to let you know back off, right? Well, understand that when we talk about am I my brother's keeper, 
It meant to hedge about as with thorns. You know, a lot of people do that because that's actually a deterrent to someone crawling through your window. It might look good. It might get little red berries on it in the late fall and then going into winter. You might get some little red berries on it. It might look pretty. But you understand that the, the, the main reason that people originally started doing that was because it was a deterrent to keep someone from just crawling through your window at night. And you understand in the Bible when we talk about hedging, and we're going to see this, we're going to look a couple other places, that a hedge was placed in, around something to, as a means of protection to keep, you know, if you, had, if you had a vineyard that was near a road, you know, it wasn't uncommon. You, you, you read about the parable of the sower, and you study that out, that, uh, that a lot of people, they go and they, just, they would sow seed, and p- there would be roads that would pass right through people's fields. Remember the story about Jesus and his disciples? They went through the fields, and as they went through the fields, they pl- plucked the heads of grain and they ate it. Why? Well, why were they doing that? Were they just hiking through some guy's property, thought it would be a shortcut? No, there was a path, a roadway that went through those fields. Well, a lot of times, if you had a vineyard, amen, or a garden planted that the road traveled by, you know, you, you got a couple thousand people going, you know, you, you get one person walking by grabbing some strawberries out of your patch. That ain't too bad. How many of y'all know you got a couple thousand people a day walking past the, the berry patch and helping herself to one? You ain't going to have any berries, right? So one of the reasons that they would put it up, they would put those hedges up to keep, uh, to keep wild, to, to be a deterrent to wild animals. How do you understand? You can, if somebody wants through bad enough, they can push on through a hedge. Amen. But it's a deterrent to people, you know, passerbys just reaching in and plucking your fruit. It's a deterrent to wild animals coming in. Here's another little tidbit for you. You ever wonder what Song of Solomon says, it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. Why? Because the little foxes can get through little holes in the hedge. Because that hedge might do a good job of deterring some big animals from coming through, but you get your little fox, all he needs is a little, little tiny hole. He's like a mouse. He can get his head through. He's going through, right? And it's those little foxes. That's why you need to make sure that you've got as good a hedge about you as you can, Right? So anyway, but Job, but you see here this example of Job. Satan's bringing the accusation toward God, saying, "Hey, you know what? You put a hedge about him. You've put a hedge about him to protect him, to protect everything he's got. Amen. And and it's no wonder he serves you. You've blessed him, right? So you see in this in the story of Job that the hedge was placed there to protect. Amen. And 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 so. Let's turn, turn to Mark chapter 12 real quick. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. I want to give you the Word, amen, to let you know, you know why we're believing what we believe, right? You've got to have Word on it. Mark chapter 12, starting with verse 1. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a place for a wine vat and built a tower, and he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. Now we're just going to stop right there. Because you know, this goes on to tell you, you know, the parable goes on to something that we're really not looking at. But what I want to bring out of this is here in verse one. It's talking about that when the when the vineyard was built, that the he, that the hedge was the first thing that was that was mentioned being built around it. Right, the hedge was put in place. A hedge, a wine vat, and a tower was built. The hedge and the hedge was put there to protect the the vineyard. Now I'm, I'm gonna pause real quick. You understand this that just having a hedge did not assure the fact that there, there would be fruitfulness in, in the vineyard. It was a necessary thing, and because you understand this, if you didn't have the hedge for protection, 
then the vineyard could be fruitful, but it's vulnerable to anybody who just wants to come in and, and take your fruit, right? But you put the hedge in place, and that, uh, and, and, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the, that the vineyard's going to be fruitful. Why? Because it's, it's still got to have good soil. It's still got to have the proper amount of, new, uh, of water. It's still got to have sunshine, right? But this is what I want us to see about a hedge. Is the hedge does not ensure the fruitfulness of the vineyard. What the hedge does, though, it contributes to an environment where that vineyard can reach its most fruitful potential. I'm going to say that again so you make sure everyone's following me. The hedge itself does not make the vineyard fruitful. The hedge contributes to making conditions favorable so that that vineyard can reach its most fruitful potential. Okay? And so you understand something, and I'm going to illustrate this to you. Turn to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. How many of you all know the Bible says you are God's vineyard? New Testament says that, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says you are God's vineyard. Hmm? How many of you all know that in the old, that, that's, that was a new comparison that the, the Apostle Paul was using? Isaiah and chapter 5. And I'm just going to start with verse 1. And you understand this is the Holy Spirit speaking through the prophet to the people, and you understand understand the context of this. Isaiah was written at a time when Israel has, has turned its back on the Lord. They've forsaken the commandments of God. They've turned and sought after other gods. They've not been obedient to the Lord. And judgment's getting ready to come. How many of you all know that as long as the hedge is in place, it can stay the judgment of God even? What did the word say? How many of y'all remember reading over in Ezekiel where God said that he sought, God was talking about he was getting ready to pour out his judgment. And he, sought, he said, I sought a man to make up a hedge and to stand the gap that judgment would be stayed and found no one. Amen. That, that's that's going to give you a little clue of how we are our brother's keeper. Amen. Amen. But you understand this? So God is saying, so verse 1 says, Now let me sing to my well-beloved the song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out the stones and planted it with the choicest vine. Amen? How many of you all know that the Bible says you're born again of an incorruptible seed? And Jesus said, I am the vine. Amen? You realize you are God's vineyard. You are planted of the choicest of vines. And the vine that has the greatest potential for the greatest amount of fruitfulness and of the best fruit that there is. Amen? It says, and planted it with the choices of the vines. He built a tower in the midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. Amen? So here you see this person. He had a, he had a, a, a very fruitful hill. In other words, it meant the soil was good. That it was, being, that it was being planted in good soil. He made a wine press. He planted the best grapes. He had the hedge about that. He had a hedge about this to make to to add for protection for the vineyard, so that the potential for the fruitfulness was the best that it could have been. Amen. <clears throat> it says, but when he went to it to find good grapes, he said he didn't find any good grapes. He found wild grapes. That's another one of those things. You know, you you understand. Balance this with the fact that God does love you and that He is long suffering. But also, you need to avoid extremes. 
Some churches preach grace, 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 grace to the point where you don't got to do nothing. You just say Jesus is Lord and you're in, baby. Don't worry about nothing. You're good. Other churches go to the extreme of saying if you're not living it by the, you know every jot and every tittle's crossed and you're not living perfect, man, you're going to split hell wide open when you die. How many of y'all both know that those are extremes to be avoided? And the truth's usually someplace in the middle. Okay? Thank God for grace. Thank God, And you understand this? That grace isn't God overlooking your sin. That is absolutely not what grace is. Grace is favor and benefit. That's exactly what it means. It doesn't mean grace is not a pass for sin in your life. Grace, grace is God giving you the ability to live without sin. Oh, we're going to teach on that someday. Do you know, you don't, do you know that one of the biggest lies of religion is, well, you know, we all sin a little bit every day. No, you don't have to. Some people might, but you don't have to. Because you understand being tempted is not sin. And you understand to sin, you actually have to do something, right? Look at the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. If you're going to be guilty of murder, you actually have to kill someone, right? It doesn't say you have the thought of it, that Satan tries to tempt you to kill somebody, and that makes us in no doing it. Now, I know some people are going to say, well, now, Jesus said if you look at a woman and you lust for her uh, to have sex, you understand he's not talking about the little fleeting thought pops in your mind. He's talking about you're dwelling on it. You're thinking about it. You're fantasizing about stuff. You're running it over in your mind and, and, and wanting to do it. Okay? But you understand that the truth is somewhere in the middle. God, you know, God is a God. Uh, uh, he's merciful and long-suffering. But then God does, but God does have expectations. Let me ask you this. God expects fruitfulness from His people. Let me ask you this. Maybe you've heard this before. Tell, you know, just nod your head, raise your hand, say amen or something if you've heard this before. Anybody heard a story about someone that was walking through his garden, walking through his vineyard, and saw a certain tree that had went several years without producing any fruit, and he went to the, the husbandman that was taking care of his garden and said, what's this tree even doing here burdening the ground? Why is it even taking up space in my garden? Why is, it taking, why is it taking water and nutrition from the soil that other plants could be using that are making fruit? Chop it down and throw it in the fire. Anybody heard that story before? Who said that? Was that Jesus? Was that Jesus telling that story? What do you think the point of the story was? That God expected that where He showed, where He gave His grace, where He poured out His favor and His benefit and His blessing, God expected fruitfulness, right? God, you understand God's the same God now as He was in the Old Testament. Let's go ahead and let's read some more here in Isaiah. It says, and, 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 he said, So He expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. Verse 3, And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge please between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it shall be burned, and break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, and there shall, uh, and there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. For the vineyard of the Lord is the ho of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. What God said, what God is saying through this parable is, and it's basically, and like I said, realize this, God, didn't ha God doesn't have split personality. Some people think we can just completely write off the Old Testament. Now, understand this, we have to interpret the New Testament in light of the New Testament. 
But God did, God does not have split personalities. God, you know, a lot of people go, God was this mean old hacked off God, you know, up in heaven with lightning bolts and ball back ready to whack you in the Old Testament. Now he's just lovey, love, love, lovey, love, love. You know, he went through the 60s and he got on the love train or something. Hmm? You understand this though. God was, what he's saying here through the prophet was, I placed a hedge about you. I placed you in a choice place. I did all that I could to make conditions conducive for you to be fruitful and you haven't been and because you haven't been i'm tearing down the hedge i'm tearing down the wall and you're going to be destroyed and see what he was talking about he was prophesying you know he, he was to isaiah was a prophet to judah and judah was was destroyed by babylon god was what well, god was he was really prophesying and giving him an indication of the impending judgment that was coming upon uh, uh, Judah and, and Jerusalem for turning their back on God. So my point is a hedge is put in place to protect something and to make the conditions conducive to fruitfulness. Amen? And when that hedge is removed, destruction is the natural thing that follows. When the hedge is removed, when protection is taken out of the way, it makes the, the vineyard vulnerable to being plundered. It makes the vineyard uh, vulnerable to people coming in and, and robbing the fruit and to wild beasts coming in and robbing the fruit. Amen? And so you understand that there's importance in a hedge. Amen? A hedge is put in place to protect the gardener vineyard and to help it become as uh, fruitful as it possibly can. Amen? Like I said, it helps make conditions conducive. It's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee, right? Because God said over in Isaiah, He said, what more could I have done? I picked a choice piece of soil. I put a hedge in place. I put, God's saying, I put everything in place and I made sure I had the best the best vine uh, that you could get. What was that movie, A Walk in the Clouds? Was that movie, A Walk in the Clouds? That was a chick flick if I ever saw one, man. I had to go take a shower after I watched that movie. and the, I, you know, <laughs> I had to go watch something on the Wildlife Channel, watch an animal get shot and get field dressed to where I felt like a man again after watching that movie because I actually enjoyed it. Amen. Remember that movie, though, when the vineyard burned down? How many of y'all see? How many of y'all saw that movie? If you didn't see it, Eddie, it's worth what? It's, it's worth sacrificing your manhood for two hours to please your wife. It is, re, it is really, it is really a good rom, It is a good romantic movie. Martha would really love it. She she really would. Anyway, the vineyard burned, and the guy, he, you know, he he's making the trip uh, up to up to the mountain to find the the the, the main uh, grapevine that all the other little twigs got started on, so they could start, you know, so they could restart the vineyard. It because it was because it was a very rare and a very good desirable vine that the whole vineyard had been planted out of and the whole vineyard burnt and so he was going to try to if he could just find this one place to get that choice vine from they could re, there was hope because the vineyard could be replanted how many of y'all know so so god said i've done all i could i you know i what more could i have done the most choice of vines was planted the, it was planted on a fruitful hill i put things in place to uh to make the the situation conducive for you to be fruitful. And you didn't. So what's the use? And then tying that in with Jesus' story, you know, why cumbereth it the soil? Amen? You're not, it's not doing... So you understand this, that the hedge was put in place to help something reach its most fruitful potential. Well, does God intend for us to be our brother's keeper? Isn't that what we're talking about? Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to... Am I the one? Is it my responsibility, God, to... to uh, hedge up with thorns around my brother and create an atmosphere that's conducive for them to be fruit for him to be fruitful in his life. 
Well, well, let's take a look at what the Word says. Understand this. Real quick, we'll go. We, you know, if we read out of, uh, of, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, let's just turn there real quick. You understand if we're going, that we're going to be talking about finances during this, but how many of y'all know that is not all? It's not all of it. So don't think, I want to say that before, uh, we get into it, because we'll be talking about finances some, but it's not all about finances. I want to go ahead and put that out there so that people don't think, well, the pastor's just talking about money. It's included. I mean, because you understand, if Jesus is Lord, He owns all of you. If Jesus is Lord, He don't just own a tenth of your money. He owns it all. He lets you keep 90 to do with as, as you see fit and as He leads you, right? Amen? Second um, Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And you understand, this is talking about a collection that was being taken up for the poor saints at Jerusalem. Am I my brother's keeper? The church at Corinth and other places. You understand the church in Jerusalem was persecuted. You understand that even to this day, there are some people, who, if their families are Orthodox Jews, I remember uh, a story that I believe is a preacher named Maze Jackson. I don't know if some of you ever heard Maze Jackson. He did a show called The Truck Driver Special. came on like 5 a.m. in the morning on the weekdays on the local channel. Brother Mays. <laughs> Somebody asked him, said, you believe in flying saucers, Brother Mays? He said, I'm married, ain't I? <laughs> but he told the story, and I believe the guy's name that he told the story about was Hyman Appleman. I believe that was the guy's name. Hyman Appleman. He was a, a, a Messianic Jew. He, in other words, he was, he, he was a Jew who had accepted Jesus Christ as, as Lord. And he said, if I remember the story correctly, he said that when he accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and he told his family that his family were Orthodox Jews, that his family had a mock funeral. And, and his father said, today my son is dead. And, and so he was actually excommunicated. He was kicked out of his family and his father told him not to come around anymore was how serious his father had taken the fact that he had made Jesus Lord. And his father said, my son's dead to me anymore. Don't talk to me. You're dead. And they actually kicked him out of the family. And so you understand that something that we take for granted, you know what, it's easy to say Jesus is Lord and go to church when it's fashionable. What about when it's not? What about when they could take you to jail? What about when your boss could uh, fire you if he found out? Oh, you one of them Christians? You one of them Bible thumpers? Let me fire you. Because we don't put up with that there. Hmm? You understand that was the situation in Jerusalem, is that the church was being greatly persecuted. Remember, you re remember reading through the book of Acts? You, this is why we need to be students of the Word, so you can begin to see and, and pray and ask the Holy Spirit. Let's see Remember in the book of Acts when they, when, they fled, when they fled Jerusalem, when the church fled Jerusalem because of the great persecution that came against the church, and they fled? There was persecution against the church. And the persecution was even to the point that it had even uh, caused financial hardship on believers because how many of y'all know discrimination? It has, has, has discrimination not manifested in this country? Oh, Lord, let's not talk about it. Well, I'm not going to go to your store. Or I'm not going to let you buy stuff in my store. Huh? The Jim Crow laws in the South, a lot of black folks in the United States, you know, couldn't go into a store and couldn't get service because we don't serve your kind in here. Well, how many of y'all know that's what the church was experiencing in Jerusalem? I'm not going to do business with you. you one of them Jesus freaks. I'm not, you know, not going to do business with you. So they were in extreme hardship. And so the Corinthian believers, out of their abundance, you know, 
they it was on their heart, and they made a pledge. You know, we're going to get. We, we want to get some. We want to send some money in for relief because you understand there wasn't no welfare back then. There was no government sponsored welfare. If you didn't have, if you didn't have, if you didn't make a living, and you didn't have children or people in your family who were willing to help you, tough. Go find your corner someplace and beg. Now you understand this. Pastor will be the first one to tell you. Thank God for social uh, uh, programs in this country, but they need some fixing. Because it don't need to be something that gets people addicted to it and it's something they spend their whole life on. Spend more money on the short term on people to get them an education and get them back on their feet to where they can uh, obtain and they can provide for themselves. Don't just make it a free handout for the rest of their life where, no, where you're encouraging people to just to, to lay around and not do anything. Invest more in them over a short term and get them back out on the road. Anyway, praise God, I'll get off politics. Amen. But this I say, he who so, so you understand this is the context of this scripture that I'm getting ready to read to you. The Corinthian church, they were prospering, they, they, they had their needs met financially, and it was on their heart to want to give financially to help the other churches. Um, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Uh, for he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one of us give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. As he is written, he is dispersed abroad, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. Now what I want to say here is is one way of making a hedge about the brothers, and, and, and we're, just, you know, we're going to address this, is financial. Now, I'm going to say this. Some churches, go, and it, and it tends to be more liberal denominations that really speak. How many of you all know that the church does need to speak to political issues? Because you understand political issues are moral issues, right? Is abortion a moral issue? Yes, it is. Church doesn't need to keep its mouth shut about it, huh? Is, is homosexual privilege. You understand? I'm all for... This is the thing. I believe that lifestyle is wrong. I believe it's going to produce death. I believe that what the devil has deceived people into thinking that this will make you happy, so let's call it gay. Hello? I believe that the, the, that lifestyle that God has deceived people... That the, I'm sorry, that the devil... The devil has deceived people into getting into that lifestyle that it's wrong. But you understand this? I believe... The person can be wrong, but as long as they're as they are uh, they're doing their own thing, I don't believe they have they should be subject to persecution. That people should be throwing rocks through their windows of their house. They shouldn't be beaten down. They shouldn't be tied to bumpers of trucks and drugs. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, I'm not condoning the lifestyle, but the people that, that practice that lifestyle, they don't need to be they don't need to be abused by society. Okay, you understand that, but. You get the church needs to speak on political issues because political issues are moral issues, and hello, the church is supposed to teach people. But you understand that that when we're talking about uh, finances, some churches have become so liberal that they they don't even preach the gospel anymore. They they preach social justice, social equity, and it's all about 
uh, and, and most of the time it's uh, getting in, 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 in charitable programs is just handing out, handing out, handing out. How many of y'all know you just throwing money at a problem don't fix it? Because if it did, the American welfare system would have been fixed a long time ago. Throwing money at poverty does not fix poverty. That's a big, that's a big revelation because poverty most of the time is a, is a, is there's a spirit of poverty and it's a poverty mentality. I've shared this before. I knew some folks back in West Virginia that they had three kids. They were trying to get them on SSI for years. And they went out and got them on. And finally, after several years, got all three of their children on SSI disability. And they, and the go, and the, and they got awarded back pay. They got like a hundred thousand dollars, over a hundred thousand dollars given to them in a lump sum for like, you know, five years back pay on three kids or something like that. Before they got the money, they were living in a little shack, a little shack right on the side of a creek up a holler in West Virginia that didn't even have siding on it. It had tar paper stapled to the outside of it and a tin roof. And some junky beat-down car that, you know, you wouldn't trust it to start it up and drive it, you know, from here to, to Lake Park, okay? They got the money. Guess what? Twelve months later, they're still living in the little shack, driving a beat-up piece of junk car. Got no money left. Why? Because poverty was mentality. And when they got the money, they couldn't handle it responsibly. And they wasted all of it. And they did this. And they did that. And blah, blah, blah. And the other. And bought a couple of little stupid little dinky toys. How many of y'all know? You get $100,000. You can go out. And in West Virginia, you can go buy a pretty decent house. I mean, you're not going to buy something super nice. But you can buy something nicer than a tar paper shack. $100,000. Why? Why did they do it? Because poverty was a mentality. Well, you understand that some churches go to the extreme where we're just talking about social programs, and they've turned the church and they've degraded the church basically into a social program. How many of y'all know that's wrong? Then you've got the other extreme where, you know, I'll be believing God for you. Be warm, be filled. Oh, that's a, that's, that's charismatic churches, ain't it? The brother drives up in his big fancy car. And he's got a couple more big fancy cars at the house. And you've got a brother that's coming to church or a sister that's coming to church and they're doing all they can. They're, they, they are doing the Word. They're being faithful. And I'm not talking about you subsidize somebody ain't doing the Word because the Word says, the same Word that says that we're supposed to be watching out for other people also says, if you don't work, you don't eat. What happens if you don't eat long enough? You die. Right? So I'm not talking about Oh, you're just subsidizing people's stupid decisions. I'm not talking about you're subsidizing someone that got a hundred, you got a hundred thousand dollars and wasted it, and now they're coming back with their hands stuck back out again. I'm not talking about that. So, but you understand the extremes I'm trying to show you. One extreme is 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 a whole swarth, a whole segment of Christianity that's just become just another social program that doesn't even bother to preach the gospel anymore. We just, you know, we're interested in feeding the poor and, get, and giving clothes for people and being a social program, and all that's good, but it has to be balanced. Right? Then you've got the other extreme of, you know, we can build a multi-million dollar building, but if we've got somebody in the church that they need help with their electric bill one time, well, you know, we just really ain't got any money to do that because we don't do that kind of stuff. Really? But now you understand what I'm talking about. I'm talking about there is a responsibility of a church as a corporation, but you understand that we are the church, right? Church ain't the building. The church is the people. And so saying all that, talking about, here over here in Corinthians where it's talking about giving, and this is talking specifically about money. Understand this. In order to have extra, how many of y'all know what extra? you got extra. Or have abundance, 
it means you need to live within some margin. How many of you know if you're making $30,000 a year and you're pushing it right up to the limit? Now, let me say this. Sometimes I feel like I'm too apologetic, but I want to make sure, I want to do the best I can to make sure people don't misunderstand me, okay? Some people, how many of y'all know you may be there now, you may have been there, you may, it may be at some point in the future that you have, that you'll experience a, a period of time like this, okay? Have ever been in a situation where you're living modestly, you're not living extravagant in any area, but it's still taking everything you got. Okay? It takes everything you get. You're not living extravagantly. You're, you're living modestly, but you're, you're basically in a situation where you're living paycheck to paycheck, right? And, and you know, this is the thing, if you want to have extra, here's the temptation that we fall into. And, and, and this is the thing, and, I, and I'm saying this, don't think the pastor's trying to micromanage your life. Be led by the Holy Ghost. Just listen to the point that I'm trying to make. And I floated this before, and it went over like a lead balloon. Oh, it really did. I floated this, and I could hear the crash when it hit the floor. I said, what if you were working a job, you had a nice house, you comfortably made your mortgage, you had a nice car, you comfortably made your car payments, or you didn't have a car payment, you paid cash for your car. You had a nice home that was adequate for all your needs, you had all the rest of your needs, you were able to pay all your utilities, put food on the table, have a nice home, and, and have money left over because, you're, because you manage your money well. And then you got a promotion on your job, and they said, you know what, we're going to give you $10,000 a year raise. We're going to increase your salary $10,000 a year. How many of us would be willing to go, because this is what a lot of people, our first response would be, woo, new bass boat, woo, new RV. In my case, it would be, woo, new motorcycle, woo, new four-wheeler. That's because the pastor's got his woos too, right? Okay, just be honest. But what if the Holy Spirit told you, you know what? I have blessed you with this increase that for a season you can help someone else out in the church that's, that is less fortunate than you. Or maybe there's a couple people. Maybe the Lord says, you know what? There's these two families in your church right now that they're going through a lean time and I'm blessing you with this superabundance so that you're able to sow to them and help them in this time. And like I said, the first time I floated this, man, I heard a resounding, I heard it hit the floor. It went over like a lead balloon. Why? Because this is our mentality. Well, that's my stuff. That's my paycheck. I give my 10% to the church. The rest of it's mine. I do what I want with Excuse me? The rest is what? The rest is the Lord's? Huh? And so you understand this. So understand as pastors, I'm not saying if when you get a raise, you better give every bit. I'm not saying. I'm saying be open to the leadership of the Holy Spirit because He may. And understand this. And, and, and make the mind shift and make the paradigm shift to realize what I'm saying here. Because you realize this. It says, Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply, okay? In other words, God's the one giving you the supply anyway. Hmm? I got this by my own hand. Really? Where did you get your breath from? Where did you get your strength from? You realize if it wasn't for the mercy of God, you could be laid up someplace in a coma. You could be a vegetable sitting in a jerry chair at a nursing home someplace, and you ain't making no money. Okay? He supplies uh, seed to the sower and bread for food. May He supply and multiply the seed you have sown. In other words, what you're given, 
God can multiply that to where it has more of an impact than what it should have for the amount that it was sown, amen, and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for your liberality. In other words, this is the mindset we've got to, to train yourself in is that when I'm given, this is where the devil likes to get a lot of us. Well, there goes that. I gave that away. That's gone. Won't ever see that again. Well, I'm just out that much money. <laughs> Y'all know you're missing the blessing of it. And you're short-circuiting a, a, a method of blessing that God's got for you right here. Because remember this verse, this is the verse that says God loves a cheerful giver. Amen? Now you can grumble and as long as your check clears, I'm happy to take it, right? <laughs> but you're going to miss a blessing. And so you understand, we're talking about, now what I want you to do is take this and put it in the framework of what we're talking about. Am I my brother's keeper? Is it my responsibility to put a hedge of protection around my brother? Understand this. Remembering again, what is the purpose of a hedge? It, it, it contributes to making the environment conducive for fruitfulness. And what you might be doing, and this is one way, this is one, we're going to talk about a whole lot of other ways, but I'm, just, I'm addressing this because this is one of the ways, is, is, is financially. Is if someone, you never know, your obedience in giving to someone may be the difference between they got groceries this week or do they not? Your obedience in giving might be, does this person have a roof over their head for the next 30 days or not? Amen? And so you understand, you understand that. Understand this, if somebody doesn't make it, say, well, I just, I'm going to pray and believe God with them. Darling, do you know that God's going to use people to get... God don't have no U.S. dollars. God doesn't have... If, if God had a printing press in heaven printing off uh, $100 C-notes, U.S. currency, it would be counterfeit. How many of y'all know God is not into counterfeiting? So God, let me ask you this. Here's a real novel idea. Who is the body of Christ? We are. So if God's going to do something on the earth, He's going to do it through the church. Amen? Now, don't get me wrong. God can do stuff miraculous. We read stories about you know, Elijah that he went and the, and the birds brought him his food and he was beside a brook and he had food and water and stuff like that. But you understand, God's going to work through the church. He works through the church. And so, understand this. You, we, there, there may be brothers and sisters among us. There may be people in the kingdom. Because you understand, this is how the kingdom of heaven operates. Because we are talking about in the, this in the context of the kingdom. Is your, your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and your willingness to sow might make the difference of someone being completely overthrown with despair. And we're going to talk about this a little bit because burden, you understand, burden doesn't just mean a financial burden. It can be other things. But the Bible does teach us that we who are strong ought to help with the weaknesses. What if the weakness is a temporary financial setback? Now, I will say this. I've said this before. Is that, and if, and if we listen to the Holy Ghost, we'll be good. I'm not talking about subsidizing people's stupidity. And I, say, I know that sounds harsh, don't it? Say, Pastor, I just don't even like that word stupid. Pastor Shine gets on to me because I'll say something is stupid. I try not to say people are, and if I slip and say that a person is stupid, I repent. But how many of you know there are some things that are stupid? Right? Okay? But I'm not saying you subsidize people's stupidity. I'm not saying that we become a broken-down welfare system of you're giving to someone every month, and they're just wasting the money. 
and then they still got bills that are going unmet because you've given them money instead of them paying a bill, they went out and threw a party. Okay? Understand what I'm saying? Understand this. <clears throat> this verse, we should believe God for increase so that we can have an abundance available to meet the needs of others. And I'm going to say this, abundance in spirit, abundance in finances, abundance in peace. Go right on down the list. I'm talking about even spiritual things. How many of y'all know that if you're teetering on the edge of, of spiritual bankruptcy because you don't ever spend any time in the Word, you don't spend any time praying, you don't spend any time fellowshipping with God, you don't spend any time praying and praying in the Spirit and praying to God and enriching yourself, you don't have nothing to give nobody else. How are you going to go into a situation and speak peace into a, a marriage that has strife when you and your wife have been fighting and pulling each other's hair all the way to church? Figuratively speaking, pulling your hair. How are you going to do that? Because you ain't got no abundance to give. Just like if you ain't got no money, you can't give to someone to help meet their financial needs. Right? If you ain't got no spiritual peace, I know ain't, ain't, uh, ain't, ain't a good word, right? But you all know what I'm saying. You can't give. What did Peter tell the, the crippled man that was begging money? He said, silver and gold I don't have. And he wasn't saying I'm poor. He's just saying I ain't got my wallet with me. Peter must have been a bad no, I'm kidding. Amen. I'm joking. Silver and gold I don't have, but what I got, I'm giving you. What did Peter have? He had a measure of the Spirit and he had enough faith to receive healing for the man in his body. And so you understand, if Peter had been spiritually bankrupt and didn't have anything to make, he couldn't have given anything. He wouldn't have had nothing to have. He said, I don't have silver and gold, but what I got, I'm going to give to you. And so you understand, that if you're going to minister, you only minister to someone out of your abundance. If it's in finances, if it's in spiritual peace, if it's in peace, hmm? Don't talk to me about wanting to counsel my marriage when you and your wife throw, you know, you see in, you see in the space, you see in the flying saucers and you're waiting for the Martians to show up because she's throwing the plates at you. Some of y'all didn't get it a while ago when I said he believed, you know, he, did you believe in flying saucers? He said, I married his wife was throwing plates at him was what he was saying. Amen. Getting plates thrown at him. Amen. So you understand this is that in order to ha this thing in order to have an abundance you have to live in some margin. Now this is why I'm saying I get back to this is there's a temptation that when we're living good an increase comes to up and there's nothing wrong with that. Please let me make this clear. There's nothing wrong wanting to you know if it's within your means to have a nicer car, have a nicer car. If it's within your means to have a nicer home, and you've prayed, and God's not got something else He wants you to do with that extra money, go ahead and have a nicer home. God, you understand God is not opposed to you improving the quality of your life. What God is interested in is that, that you're making Him the top priority and that, you're checking with, and that you're checking with Him. How many of us would agree buying a car and buying a home, those are pretty major financial decisions. Don't you think that God would like to be involved in those decisions? Don't you think that your Lord that owns you would like to be involved with this. Why? Because he might have some plans. He might know that there's some, that, that 18 months from now, there's going to be someone that, that he's going to bring across your path that's going to be in dire need. That there's going to be six months of their life that they are in dire need of something. And if you, if you tie yourself down for that time, you're not going to have an abundance. You're not going to have extra to sow to that person to help them for that period of time. And then they're not going to, they're not going to get their needs met, right? And then they might 
they might just be completely overthrown. They might be broken down underneath the burden of that. Where if God's just saying, look, I'm not saying no, I'm just saying not right now. I'm saying wait a little bit, you meet that. And then because you've sown the seed, guess what? God causes that seed to be multiplied back to you. And you're able to go do what you were going to finance and pay cash for it. Amen? God knows the plans He has for you. And everything He's asking you to do, He's got your prosperity in mind. Amen? And it's, and it's helping others. You understand this? Having margin. You need to have margin in your finances. It, you know, try to develop a budget where you are not completely maxed out. Amen? Because, this is, because like I said, this is, the temptation is get a raise, you up your standard of living. You know, things are tight. If I miss a day of work, I'll have to juggle a bill at the end of the month because you push yourself right to the max. Then you get a raise and you've got some cushion and instead of enjoying the margin, you say, "Woo, I got a raise now. We can we can do this." And here it is. It's a little fox. You know, Pastor China, we're talking about. It's a little fox that's pulled the vine. You know, okay, I can handle a three hundred dollar a month car payment, and you go and find the one that you want, and it's three hundred and forty five dollars. Oh, it's only forty five dollars more, and I really want this one. So you get that. You know, ah, it's just forty five dollars. It's yeah. You know, it's it's not even eleven. It, you know, it's eleven dollars and twenty five cents more a week. And so you get that. Then, you know, uh, your, you know, the cable company calls you up. Hey, uh, Mr. Smith, we realize you know, that you don't have an HD receiver. Wouldn't you like to have an HD receiver? That's just, now, understand, I'm not saying any of these things are wrong. I'm using this as an example, okay? Uh, and you, and you're, you've made a budget to where you can stay within your budget. You know, it's only $15 more a month. You can get a DVR and an HD uh, receiver, and it's 15 bucks a month. Well, 15 bucks a month, 50 cents a day. Come on, I can handle 50 cents a day. All right, then you do that. And then it's something else, upgrade something else. And then before you realize, all your margin's gone because you went $45 more in a month than what you knew you were budgeted that you could handle and live within comfortably. You've pushed yourself to your limit, and it's what? It's all little things. You go, wait a minute, I got a, you know, I got a $500 a month raise, and I just can't even tell that I've got any extra money coming. Where did it all go to? I mean, I'm not spending five. And then you get to adding up all the little foxes that have come in, and they've spoiled the vine because you've let little foxes come in and snip at stuff. Okay, so understand this: having abundance, <clears throat> talking about being, uh, placing ahead. And remember, we are talking in the context of hedging about your brother, being your brother's keeper. Speak only good things about them. Speak only good things about them. This is the thing. They might, man, they might, you might be able, it might be the truth that they the sorriest thing ever sucked. Well, I ain't never seen anybody in my life that is that, that is just absolute. And it might, it all might be factually true. But, you know, the Bible talks about speaking the truth in love to one another. And so if what you're speaking, it might be the truth, but if you can't speak it in love, shut your hole. I know that sounds crude, but shut your hole. Here you got a brother that he's doing his best. You don't know where they came from. You don't know you don't know what they were before you met them in your church. You don't know where they came from. And you're looking at their life and you think, well, they just, you know, you're comparing them to yourself. Oh, what about, you know, they, I think that, I don't think he does this good enough. I don't think she does that right enough. My, what are they doing coming like that? And you talking evil over them? And you tearing them down? Here it is. You know, you got two guys in the church. They get out in the, in the boat, get out in the john boat, and go fishing someplace. And the one guy starts talking about, well, you know, me and my wife, we had an argument this morning. It just, you know, really makes me feel bad, you know, because I just, you know, I just feel like she doesn't understand me. I feel like she doesn't appreciate me. And the other guy goes, man, you know what? You deserve so much better than that. 
Yeah, I don't know what your wife thinking. I don't know what your wife thinking doing yet. Why well, don't she know you're doing all you can? Doesn't she know that you're doing absolutely the best? Uh, you know, what's what's her problem? And then guess what? You're you're out there, and guess what? You're tearing that person's spouse down to them. You ain't building no hedge around, huh? You're actually acting like the devil because the devil says the Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren, right? Are we talking about putting a hedge up? So you only speak the good things. Yeah, it might be factually true that they could be doing a whole lot more than what they could. But you need to speak good over that person. You need to speak good over them. You need to speak good to their spouse about them. Don't say anything to that person's spouse that would run them down and make them look less in their spouse's eye. Because when you do that, you just all you're doing, you're just letting the devil use you for a puppet. The devil got his hand up your back and just jacking your mouth, and all you're doing is tearing that person down, and you're tearing the hedge down. And remember, the hedge is put in place to make the situation conducive for fruitfulness. And you are contributing to tearing down that hedge, and you are contributing to making that person vulnerable to the, the fruitfulness that God has in store. And you understand why I'm talking about fruitfulness? We're talking about their life being productive for God. And the, and the gifts and the talents that God's placed in them being pulled to the surface and being maximized so that the kingdom and so that the body, remember, increase comes to the body when every member brings their supply. And if you're tearing down the hedge around your brother, then the, you are affecting the supply that your brother or sister can bring and you're actually hurting the growth of the body. Amen? You understand this? Take time, This is another way. Am I my brother's keeper? Take time to pray for him. Okay, it might be true. They might be the sorriest thing that ever walked shoe leather. But pray for them. Keep your mouth shut and pray for them. Because we understand, you understand, when you're, when you're praying for that person, you're asking God to intervene on their behalf. Asking God to show yourself mighty on their behalf. Okay? Living with margin has a twofold benefit. Okay? Number one, you have breathing room in your own budget. You yeah? I, I could tell you, you know, most people, when, when Pastor Cheyenne and I, when we lived in, in West Virginia, and we bought our house, and, and, I, and I, I don't mind telling you the numbers of the, of the house there. I won't tell you this one here because, you know, I don't want to share that with you, right? house we had in, in West Virginia, though, when we bought it, we bought the house, and, uh, and with what we put down, our house payment was just like $715 a month was our house payment. Now, some people paying a lot more than that in rent. And I would wager with you that of, of probably of all the staff ministers that were on staff at the church that we were on staff at, our house payment was probably the cheapest. We talked to some of them, and I knew it was the cheapest. I talked to at least four of them and knew that our house, when I told them you know, our house payment was you know, $715 a month, they were like, holy cow, I wish mine was that less. Well, it could be. Don't complain to me that your house payment's too big. You the one bought it, right? Yeah, you know, I was the one. Yeah, you, know, you was the one that thought you know twenty eight hundred feet and uh, in ground pool would be not right. You, I mean, did anyone stick a gun in your face and say buy this house or I shoot you dead? No. What's your point? What my point is is could Pastor Shine? Could if we have afforded a house payment of you know thousand bucks a month? I talked to two of them. I knew their house payments were over thirteen hundred dollars a month. Could we, could we, you know, with my salary that I had, and I'm not going to tell you my salary because that's none of your business because Pastor Huffman set that salary, but with the salary that I had, could I have afforded more than than $715 a month? Sure I could have. But then guess what? Your margin starts disappearing. How many of you don't know what I'm talking about margin? If you've ever typed a, a paper, 
you've ever typed you know, something on Microsoft Word, you can adjust your margins, and the margin's how much space you got on each side of the page. Oh, I could, yeah, we could have went ahead and got a house where we had a $1,000 a month payment. Why? Because I was making, you know, I was making a good paycheck. I could, have paid, I could have paid that much, couldn't I? Could have had a little bit nicer house. Could have had a little more square foot. Could have been a nicer house. Could have had all the modern conveniences. But guess what? Then if God spoke to me and said, I want you to, get, I want you to, you know, I want you to bless this person, guess what? I've pushed myself to where my budget is a max. Now, that's the second reason. One, the first reason of living with margin is that it gives you breathing room to where this is the thing. Some people are on salary. Some people uh, are on a daily salary. Some people are paid by the hour. I knew guys that when I worked at Pepsi, that they were guys. There were guys running truck routes when I worked for Pepsi ten years ago that were making seventy-five, eighty thousand dollars a year, and they, had, you know, they had a fifteen hundred dollar a month mortgage, and they and and every two years they bought a new bass boat. They didn't even keep it. They didn't keep it. They'd go out and they'd buy a new bass boat because they had to have the newest. They had to have the biggest one. I got it. They got one of the bigger motor. I got to get it. Run out and get it. And every couple of years, they were trading their, their Chevrolet pickup truck in on a new one. Well, you know, this one's about to get 37,000 miles on it. It's going to be out of warranty. I want to go ahead and get a new one. And those guys were making 75,000. And when the guys in the plant, if you were an hourly guy in the plant, you'd make anywhere from, you know, twenty-eight dollars to $34,000 a year working, you know, 40-hour a week or so. Them guys making $75,000 and would freak out if they got sick. Or if they got an injury that they were off, if they were off work for two or three days, why? Because they're afraid they're going to lose everything. God forbid they'd miss a week. Because even with workers' comp, I can't pay my bills with workers' comp. They go, they worried about which payment am I going to juggle now because I missed a week's work. And they're making seventy-five thousand. Why? Because they don't have any margin. And understand this. And I said this: you only minister out of your abundance. And if you ain't got no margin. You ain't got no margin in your finances. You don't have no margin in your peace. You don't have any margin in in in, this, in the things of the spirit that you've invested and given yourself to. Then guess what? You ain't got nothing to give nobody. And so, the, and so the second reason it's important to have margin is is that uh, if you don't have any margin, you don't have anything to minister to anyone out of. So just because you can't afford the thousand dollar a month mortgage, do you need to buy the thousand dollar a month mortgage? Can you find a house that, you know, is set, you know, 715 bucks a month and you've got some breathing room that you can actually put some money away and, and be, and if the Holy Spirit speaks to you about sowing that you do it. Yeah. It's important to have some margin. God, you understand this? God wants to prosper you. God wants you to be prosperous. But God doesn't want every time He brings extra into you, you pushing the standard of living that you've got to the point to where you're just as strapped as what you were before. Amen. Understand this, Proverbs 10.22, we say this a lot. It says, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow to it. I'm going to say this. Hmm? If you have a lot of things but it's a burden to you, God didn't give it to you. I'm going to say it again. If you have a lot of things and it's a burden to you, God didn't give it to you. If you have something that has a payment book with it, that the payment is so big each month, you're scraping pennies to get the payment check wrote out, God didn't give that to you. And I'll say this, and this is something that's probably irritated a whole lot of people. Don't drive into the church on your brand new pickup truck or your brand new luxury car and say, look what God blessed me with. And you've got a payment book that's so big you've got to work 20 hours of overtime a week to pay your, your blessing that God gave you. Because that's not a blessing of the Lord. 
you went out and you got it by your own hand and now you have to, you have obligated yourself to work so many hours. Because you understand, I understand if someone has to work, you have to work, right? The boss comes in and says, you ain't got no choice, you got to work it on Sunday, you got to work it. But I also know the company I worked for, that a lot of the overtime was take it or leave it. And if you turned it down, they're just going to go down the, the road to the next person to get it. But you've went out and you've pushed your, you've eliminated all margin in your home budget to the point where you're hoping to Jesus that they offer you 14, 15, 16 hours overtime that week. Why? Because if you don't get it, you don't get to pay that blessing of the Lord you got. Wink, wink. Out there. Amen? Understand this. <clears throat> the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Amplified Version says that we are God's vineyard. He's talking about the church. Psalms, there's two ways that, you, that God will surround you with a hedge. Now, remember, we're talking about the hedge, that protection. Number one is, Psalms 5.12 says, He surrounds us with favor like a shield. Mm, this is good. I, I, got, I got a little bit of a revelation on this last night, and I shared it with Pastor I was like, oh, that's good. The Bible says in Psalms 5.12, He surrounds the righteous with favor as a shield. What's the New Testament word for favor? Grace. Grace is favor and benefit. That's literally what the word means. So you, we could read this saying, For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With grace you will surround him as with a shield. Because that's what grace is. Grace is favor or benefit. This is saying you'll surround them with favor. The one way, two ways that God, we're talking about two ways God will hedge about you. One is God will. Do, will do something for you. God will surround you with grace. God will surround you with favor. But then also you need to understand one of the functions of the church, one of the functions of the church body is, is that the church provides a hedge around people. God's intention for the church is, is to protect the members, to, to, to make a hedge. Is it, is, am I my brother's keeper? Yes, you are. Okay? How does God expect us to keep our brother? Well, we're going to go through these quickly. How does God expect us to keep our brother? Amen? Romans 15, 1-6 says that we are to bear one another's burdens. Amen? And you understand, when I say burdens, I'm not talking just specifically financial burdens. Because remember, we're staying away from the extremes. One extreme part of the church says, oh, it's all about finances, it's all about finances, it's all about social equity and social justice. The other side says, well, I'll just be believing God for you. I'll pray and believe God for you, okay? And it's somewhere in the middle... You understand, we're not talking about co-signing for other people's debt. In case you haven't ever heard this, Proverbs 6.1 tells you not to be surety or not to co-sign for another person's debt. This is the thing. If God puts it on your heart, if somebody has to go out and finance a refrigerator and, and God puts it on your heart, go out and buy the refrigerator for them and give it to them. Don't co-sign it because this is the thing. If you're, Understand this, if you sign for someone's debt, you're the same as you owe that. Don't ever co-sign for someone that you don't think, I'm just going to assume the full responsibility. just might as well consider that this is my debt. Because you will, you will be setting yourself up to be taken advantage of and have your feelings hurt if you think, oh, oh but it's my kid. Mm-hmm. That's exactly why they'd be more inclined not to pay it. Because they're your kid. Like I said, be generous. And if, and if, the spirit, if it bears witness with your spirit and the Holy Ghost leads you to, just buy it for them and give it to them. But don't be co-signing for people, Right? You understand this? It says, bear one another's burdens. Burden, it, it, it literally means the notion of going down. Weight in the New Testament, only it's figuratively a load. Amen? But I, what I want you to get is the notion of going down. How many of you all know, you've heard someone say, well, I'm, I just feel like I'm going under. 
I feel like I'm going down, okay? When we're talking about bearing one another's burdens, whether it's financial, whether it's spiritual, this is the thing. Don't come to me and ask It says that we are to bear one another's burdens. It's in Galatians. That's what I thank you, Lord. It's in Galatians, chapter 6. Um, Galatians 6, verses 1 through 12 says, If a brother is overtaken with sin, ye who are spiritual, restore such a one of the spirit, uh, with a spirit of meekness, considering yourselves, lest ye also be tempted. And it says, This way bear one another's burdens. Okay, so you understand when we're talking about burdens and we're talking about a load that's about to push someone under, this is another thing for you to realize too. When it's talking about, when we're talking specifically about about finances, of making that hedge around your brother, we're not talking about someone, things are just tight, all their bills are paid and things are just tight. We're talking about a burden that is a crushing down, about the feeling of going down and under burden. We're not talking about... Well, you know what? I paid all my bills, praise God, but I just ain't got no money to go out to eat on. Oh, praise God. I've had people bless me and Pastor Shane all the time. We, you know, we've not had any shortage of eating out. People say, hey, you want to go out to eat with us? Or somebody come and give you a gift card or someone give you some money and say, hey, take your wife out to dinner or something like that. And that's perfectly fine. But I'm saying don't, we are not obligated if, some, you know, if someone's... The idea of the burden that we're to bear is when you realize it's too much for the other person. If they're making it, they're making it, Right? You might not you might not be real comfortable and you might not have a lot of margin, but you might also not know all the stupid decisions they've made. And you might not know all the stupid decisions they've made that they have repented for and that God has forgiven them and that they're coming out of, but they're learning something. And you don't need to make it comfortable on them in their learning because sometimes if you don't pay any consequences, then you're more likely to get right back into the same mess, right? Amen? Understand this, um, Romans 12.10. Man, glory to God. I told Pastor Science I could teach for an hour and a half off of this. I won't. We've got to eat, right? Amen. We're, we're having a cookout, Pastor. you got to cook chicken. Amen. Praise God. Romans 12.10 says that we are to give preference to one another. We need to write this one down. 12.10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Well, what's that mean, giving preference to one another? Write this down in your notes and you can go read this. Genesis chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Remember when Abraham left and he went out to the place where God was showing him and he took Lot with him. And God blessed Abraham and blessed Lot both and they both had huge herds and you understand that represented their wealth. And there arose a dispute among Abraham's shepherds and uh and Lot's shepherds, and Abraham went to Lot. Now get this, Abraham's the uncle. Abraham's the one that God called out, and God said to go here. So let's make no mistake about it. If you want to say which one's preeminent, and which one was in the higher position, it was Abraham. Okay? Can we all agree that? Abraham was the uncle. How many of you, you grew up in a family where the nephews told the uncles what to do? If you did, you grew up in a messed up family. Amen? Because my uncles, when I was at their house, if they told me to do something, I'm at your house, you're my uncle. Right? And I obey my elders. You understand this? But this story of Abraham and Lot, Abraham went to Lot and he said, you know what? He said, we can, you know, let's not have any dispute between us. He said, I'll tell you what, you choose where you want to go. And wherever you go, I'll go the opposite direction. If you want to go to the low country, you go there, I'll take the hill. If you want to take the hill, I'll go to the low country. But here's Abraham, he's in a position of superiority. He's superior. He's higher than Lot is. But Abraham has humbled himself and he said, you know what? I'm just going to give preference to you. Huh? You know what, Lot? You know, 
we all walking past the chicken bucket and there ain't but one piece of white meat left. Do you want the white meat? I mean, that sounds... You understand I'm making a really simple explanation here. Uh, example. Giving preference to one another. Lord, you know, I really want to do this for myself this weekend, but you know what? I haven't seen such and such at church for a while. I think I maybe need to drive by their house and go visit them and just encourage them and see what's going on and see if there's something I can pray with them about. Do I want, you know, God, do I want to go fishing this weekend? Or do I want to take the time to drive, you know, 25 miles to someone's house and knock on their door and say, you know what, you've just really been on my heart. Is there something I can pray with you about? Huh? It can be something. And let's just, let's face it, it can be financial. I got a bonus. I want to do this. What if God, you know, what if God says, you know what, you know, your brother, they've been going through some financial stuff, and they and they making it all right, but he hasn't been able to take his wife out on a date for seven months, seven years. All right, is that better? <laughs> you know what? Once you take once you take that and, and give that to him, bless him. Or here's a good one: How about you want a free trip to some place, all expenses paid trip someplace? Woo! Hallelujah! I always wanted to go there. But there's a family in your church that hasn't been on vacation in 10 years because they can't afford it. Now you understand I'm saying all of this in the context of be led by the Holy Ghost. I'm not just saying that you pop up and all of a sudden you're the church sugar daddy. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that we're sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit that when He says something, that if He says something that it looks to you like you're taking a loss and it's to benefit somebody else, you realize that He who gives to the poor lends to the Lord and He will repay. Not maybe. God said, you lend to the poor, I will repay you. You you lend to the poor, you give them to God, and I'm not going to be in debt to you, and I will make sure that you get it back. Amen? Real quickly here. So giving preference to one another. That's one way if we make that hedge. Second, Another way, 1 Corinthians 12.25 says, the members of the body should have care for one another. In other words, you, know, you stub your toe, your whole body feels the pain, Right? Amen? You, you, you mourn with those that mourn, you rejoice with those that rejoice, right? But we have genuine care and concern for each other. Um, Colossians three twelve through 13 says that we are to forgive one another and bear one another. You realize that, that, that we are, are we all humans? Are we all human beings? Is every one of us in this room capable of doing something that is so colossally stupid that everybody else in the room would go, what the... What were you thinking? Every one of us, right? I've said this before. It's funny. Glenn Beck says it, but it is, but it is truth, and it's really profound. You realize everybody in this room is one stupid decision away from wrecking your life. That's all it is. One stupid decision. One stop at the little strip club. Boom! Marriage destroyed. One little stop at the liquor store. Boom! You're hooked. You're strung back out on alcohol and your, wife, and your life is in the toilet. What? One stupid decision. We're all capable if, it's, if we're not being led by the Spirit, if we're not doing the Word. One stupid decision. That everybody in this room, if you did it, will go, what were they thinking? Huh? You realize that somebody can do something, and you understand this is either intentionally or unintentionally. Okay? Intentionally or unintentionally. Anybody in this room is capable of doing something that is so completely stupid and careless to you that would hurt your feelings and cause you grief that it would be just overwhelming. But what does the Word say? It says forgiving one another and bearing one another. 
You understand that that is one of the key ways that you're building the hedge around someone. That you are placing the hedge around them. Because this is the thing. You can expose their stupidity. Man, you could talk to somebody in church. I, well, I just can't believe Pastor do something that stupid to me. What was he thinking? He hurt my feelings. Well, I just can't believe that Martha. How, how, just, what was she thinking? How could she think that she could do that and it not hurt my feelings? What in the name of Jesus was Tamika thinking that she could do that? And guess what? Tearing down the hedge, tearing down the hedge, tearing down the hedge. And you are doing stuff to take away from that person's potential for fruitfulness. Amen? Hebrews 10.24, building up the hedge. You can write these down. You can study these out later this week. We're to stir up each other to good works as we assemble together. You understand that's one of the big reasons for getting together. Hebrews 10.24, verse 25 is where it says, Don't forsake the assembling together of yourselves, which is the manner of some. But even more so as you see the day approaching. Well, verse 24 tells you why we're supposed to get together so that you can stir each other up to good works. That's a way of building a hedge. James 4.11, don't speak evil of each other. You write these down studies. James 5.9, don't grumble against one another. And it also says to go, lest you be condemned, lest you be judged. You tear down your brother's hedge. You take down the hedge, you'll be judged. Was Cain judged? Amen. Have compassion for one, First Peter three eight. Have compassion for each other and be blessed. So if you grumble against each other, you're judged. But if you have compassion toward your brothers, you're blessed. Be submissive to one another and be clothed in humility. That's First Peter five five, and First John three eleven through eighteen. Just write this down. This encourages us to love one another. It says not like Cain. We're because we started this sermon out talking about Cain. First uh, John three eleven through eighteen says that we are to love one another, not like Cain. In other words, what Cain did did not love. So, answering the question, we went a long way around. Some of you say, "Well, Pastor, when you asked me that question, yeah, I knew. Yes, I knew we were our brother's keeper. I knew the answer was yes at the very beginning." Well, you understand that you got a whole bunch of supportive scripture right now, and we wrapped it right back around to where Cain said, "Oh, I'm, I popped off. Am I my brother's keeper?" Well, First John right here in First John. Uh, chapter 3, verses 11 through 18, is telling us a resounding yes. You are not supposed to be like Cain. You are your brother's keeper. It is your responsibility as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven that you place a head, that you do all that's within your power and as you're led by the Holy Spirit to put up a hedge around your brother or your sister so that you can help contribute to... Uh, you can help contribute to making an environment that's conducive to fruitfulness in their life. Amen? Understand this, being your brother's keeper is an expression of love. If you can't, 1 John 4.20 says, If you can't love your brother who you see, how can you love God whom you don't see? You're fooling yourself. Don't tell me you love God and you don't have any compassion for your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. You don't. Finally, John 15.35, Jesus said, Our love for one another is how the world will know that we're Jesus' disciples. doesn't matter how many miracles, doesn't matter how many gifts of the Spirit that you have an operation in your life doesn't matter if you speak in tongues and dance all over the front of the church house that's not going to be any evidence to the world that you know Jesus Christ and that you're his disciple are you your brother's keeper I know we went long, we went long this morning but hey I figure y'all eating at my house <laughs> isn't it good isn't it good to know the expectations and you understand this when this happens and I alluded to this earlier, when this happens, when every member cares for the other member as they would. So 
and it causes that the members to be able to bring their supply. The Bible says in First Corinthians, it says that's when growth comes. That's when growth comes, when we do all that we can to build a hedge about one another and to do all that's within our power and all that the Holy Spirit leads us to to help brothers and sisters have fruitful, productive lives that bring glory to God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for this day.